no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's normal. Nobody worry about it. Hi, everybody. Dave? Remember Dave? By the way, these Hi. seats have a real cushion in them. You really sink in these things. These balls are made from plant, not plastic. Plantstick. Plant, plantstick. And I just want to point out how, you know, I've always done the show in a mask. <laughs> You've probably never heard it, but I've been doing the show in the mask for what, Dave? Five years? Five. Six, five years. Yeah, so one of these be like, hey, this guy's crazy. His original nickname was Masky. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, it's funnier when people can't see your face. Maskith. You son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. Hi, Detroit. How's it going? Thank you guys for coming out. Great. Welcome to the last concert you'll go to before the pandemic hits. How great is it that he thinks we're a concert? Isn't that awesome? Imagine having the balls like that. You're listening to The Dollop! This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, I pat on her, Lover of dogs. Coronavirus infected Dave Anthony. It's a, it's a story to from American history to his friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. January 4th, 1902. Charles Augustus Lindbergh. Born in Detroit. Okay. His father's name was Carl Manson, but he changed his name to Charles Augustus Lindbergh and named his son after himself. Smart. Yep. Yep. Right? Early legacy. That's how you gotta do it. Yep. Um, his father immigrated from Sweden at a young age, and then the family moved to Little Falls, Minnesota when Charles was a toddler. Okay. What? Was that a boo? I think that was a boo. Somebody just booed Little Falls? Yeah. Get bigger falls, fuckface! You got a bunch of legs, don't you? I was so fucking mad when I went there, the falls were like that high. Yeah. Welcome to Little Falls! We're here to help you! You're too big, mister! Maybe this guy can help us. Uh, I gotta get out of here. You're the one we talked about in scripture! No, I'm not. That... The guy at the hotel said, go here. The guy at the hotel? Yeah. That was us. A bunch of us got in a trench coat and advised you to come here. Cause now you're a prisoner. What? what? Yeah. We're gonna eat you. What the fuck are you talking about? We're gonna cut you up and sell you for parts, mister. Who the fuck are you? We're evil motherfuckers with their little folios. Jesus Christ. Soon we'll take over the Vikings. What? Our goal is to be the quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings. Why? Because the prophecy told us so. Then you never win. Yeah, well, look, when we came up with the plan, they were doing pretty good. <laughs> they were in the playoffs. 
that's a I while know, ago. You get to the playoffs, but you never win anything. Hey, well, well, that's where we come in. <laughs> I hate this guy. If I'm saying this in Detroit. Uh, Detroit, where the best running back in the league is like, I can't. I just can't. Uh, Charles Mam, uh, Mom, Mam. Charles Mom, Eva Jean Lodge, Land Lindbergh. Wait, what? Eva, Evangeline Lodge, Land Lindbergh. Lodgeland? Lodge. Separate word. Is there Land. a train in the building? Yes. There's a train. Lodge is, her middle name is Lodge and Land, not two words. Lodge, I mean, two words. Two Lodge, words. Land. Lodge, Land. To be clear. Okay, so she's just got a cabin. Yeah, right. Her family had land. Her name. Okay. And so they thought, sure. There really, is, there really is a train going by. Yeah. We don't have those in California. Uh, she was a chemistry teacher. Uh, Charles would be their only child. They were after that. They're like, perfect. His father quickly became a... It didn't sound like there was a lot of chemistry in the bedroom, David. She taught it, but at home, none of it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I'll be honest, I almost didn't say that joke. Uh... His father uh, became a successful lawyer and then a politician, and he was elected to Congress. So young Charles Lindbergh spent a lot of time in D.C. while his dad was there from 1907 to 1917. Okay. Glory years. Yep. His parents then split. Uh-oh. But they could not officially divorce since this would tarnish the reputation of a congressman. Imagine that time. <laughs> <laughs> we have an image to uphold. <laughs> not anymore. Uh, also, divorce was very uncommon at the time and looked down upon. Sure. Uh, after the separation, Charles lived with his mother in D.C., but they traveled a lot. He ended up all over the place. He went to a dozen schools from D.C. to California to Minnesota. Well, Lindbergh's father was very opposed to entering World War I. Okay. He wrote a lot on the topic, including a book called Why Is Your Country at War? that criticized the U.S. entering the war. And the book was seized by the government under the Comstock Act and not published. So they, the government was like, you can't tell people what's going on. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> that's not cool, man. No, that's what we do. We just go, you yeah. that? No, no. That seems pretty anti-us. So, no. Fuck it. It's propaganda now. Uh, eventually it would be published in 1934. Uh, right on time. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like, finally, the message to... No, we won't go into World War One. We will not go in. We wouldn't have... Shit, they really won this, didn't they? They really figured out a way to shut me down. Um, so the book was about how war is big business. What? Imagine. Uh, spurred by the profiteers of industry and banking. And now, Dave, was that true at the time? No, that's not true. Okay. We go to war for freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And to spread it. And to spread, that's all we do is spread yeah. freedom. Thank you. America! Like it or not, we're gonna free you. So free. We freed so many people from their lives. Yes, we really <laughs> know how to spread that. Yes. At a ver very early age, Charles uh, was obsessed with machinery. Especially his family's uh, Saxon six car, 
and guns and a family motorcycle. What was the first one? Saxon Six Car. Saxon Six Saxon. Saxon Six Car? Yeah, you don't remember that? Nope. <laughs> I'm picturing the Chitty Bang Bang car though. Is that it's okay? a lot like that, yeah. All right, that'll be what I picture. Uh, his grandfather was also an inventor and that influenced Charles. Now after graduating from high school in Little Falls, he went to the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Nice. Yeah. That's right. And studied engineering, but dropped out after a year. That sounds like Madison. <laughs> because he had gotten into flying. Okay. Now, I say gotten into it, but he quit college, even though, quote, he had never been close enough to a plane to touch it. So this was like... He just really liked the idea. This is like how, this is like a religious epiphany almost. This is where someone just like Jesus talks to you through a bush all of a sudden. Yeah, so he was just like, planes are awesome, I'm gonna quit school. Well, do you want to go see a plane first? No! Charles? Charles, they're actually pretty dangerous. I love planes! Well, you gotta, maybe you should have your vision checked. Sometimes no. That, no, some stuff can stop you from being able to do it. Fuck medicine! Maybe you should just stay, in, stay in college for a little while, then make your decision. No, I'm quitting school. I love planes. I saw one. Only one? Photograph. A photo of one? Yes, and I love them. Do you know how big they are? Like two feet? No, no. Three feet? Way bigger. You're thinking of the ones from Little Falls. Six. Don't go there. There are little people there. They will fucking kill you. I've got news for you, motherfucker. Where'd you come from? We're all in this guy's skin. What? We killed this man and then put his skin on. What the hell are you talking about? We're trying to entrap you. I don't want to do this. Okay. Uh, so he leaves college. He goes to Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, signs up for Ray Page's Flying School. Ray Page, to name and fly. Yeah, you know. I'm Ray Page. I would imagine there weren't a lot of flying schools there. Yeah, yeah, but my guess is it's like, okay. It just sounds like something you would find like in a newspaper. I'm Ray Page. You can teach you to fly in an hour and 45 minutes you'll get your piloting license. <laughs> kind of close. <laughs> uh, so he flew for the first time on April 9th, 1922 as a passenger. Okay. Quote, trees become bushes, barns, toys, cows turn into rabbits as we climb. I lose all connection with the past. I live only in the moment in this strange, unmortal space, crowded with beauty, beauty pierced with danger. Can you combine that with how we feel about flying? <laughs> like, the way that like it used to be like, look at it, marvel at it, look at it. We're in the air, and now we're like, oh, look at this asshole next to me. Like, Excuse me. Christ. I'm gonna balance my iPad on this thing real quick so I can watch a movie. A fucking baby? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Don't worry, it's teething. Me? And I'm sure it'll pass out from pain soon. Jesus Christ. It'll shriek itself into a sleep soon. What do you mean you're out of hummus? Uh, Look at the barns. Planes are obviously a new invention. Uh, safety, not great at this point, okay. which means they crashed all the time. Okay. So this made it hard for Charles to get solo flight training because he couldn't afford the damage bond that a pilot needed to fly alone. 
fly someone else's plane. Right, you basically, like, I'll pay for your plane. Yeah. Right. Uh, and also, probably posthumously, like, paying for someone's plane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you would. Here's a check. If, uh, if I die, cash that. All right. <laughs> what a double whammy that'll be for the family. Dad's gone and he bought a plane that crashed. Uh, don't touch your face. Two. <laughs> Literally everyone's inner monologue now. But shouldn't touch it, don't touch it. Don't touch it, don't touch that. Use your shirt. Don't move around, don't touch that. Don't sneeze, don't stay next to that guy. He's sniffling. <laughs> and to make matters worse, Charles' flight instructor... Instructor? Oh, instructor. Nice. His flight instructor, Ira Biffle. Uh, what happened to Ray Page? Where's Ray? Ray Ray's home? dead. He's a character. <laughs> I assume Ray crashed. Uh, Ira Biffle, who was known as Biff. Sure. He, uh, Biff had, had a, a good friend who had just uh, crashed and died while flying. So now Biff, the flight instructor, hated flying. It's a good energy. It's a good vibe. You sure you want to do this today? We could, you know. No, we'll figure it out. Whatever. Well, it'd be Life, li hey, shut up. Life's garbage anyway. It's meaningless. So is flying. Doesn't matter where you go, you end up back where you started. Every time it's just a big circle, isn't it? It'll drive you mad. Looking at the same woman, the same child, and the same goddamn house. I feel like every day is the exact goddamn same. Hey. <laughs> Are we going to start the plane, or what are we doing? Oh, sorry, robot expressed too much emotion. Sit down, fuckface, let's get through this. See, so you hit this to start it. Are you crying? Buddy, I don't even know anymore. So dehydrated from weeping. It just doesn't matter anymore. What's, what's the other thing there? Uh, yeah, then uh, once it started, uh, you gotta get moving. You'll figure it out, I'm gonna go to a, gonna what? catch a movie. I'll see you oh, later. There aren't movie theaters yet. Well, I've been having these premonitions fireside lately. <laughs> Ever since Ray Page passed. <laughs> Uh, so, Biff was the only flight instructor at the school, and he kept making excuses why he couldn't fly each day. <laughs> okay. And Charles became very frustrated, and then the school's only plane was sold. So, 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 so Charles went to flight school to be a passenger on a plane once. That's right. And meet a couple guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the guy who bought the plane bought it for barnstorming. No. Barnstormers would perform stunts in oh. the air, and when they came to a town, they would drop uh, leaflets announcing when and where the show would be. Um, there were $5 rides, wing walking, and parachuting. What was the second? A oh, wing walking? Yeah. Right. Uh, Charles, whose nickname was now Slim, got into wind walking and then parachuting. 
Okay. Now, did he do that on an actual plane, or was he just practicing like, yes. on a roof? <laughs> that was, he actually did it on a plane. Uh, sorry, Charles, we sold the wing. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's gone. So That might have been why the plane crashed. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense, Charles. You some kind of aviation scientist? No, I've just seen a picture of a plane and the wings. All right, I'm gonna go see a movie. So parachuting was, they would do a double jump where they would have one chute and it would open and it would look like there was something wrong with it and then they would drop all the way close to the ground and hit the second chute. Fun. But there was... Every time. Oh my God, it almost happened again. Yeah. The cool thing is when the second chute didn't open. Yeah. Then they, but then they didn't have a lot of time to be like, it's a trick. Yeah. No, that's when you just, that's when the show takes a turn. Yeah. And you brought your children to a public death. That's right. That's right. Uh, so people love that one. Uh, and by doing this, Charles learned how to land in almost any condition. To um, land? Oh, okay. Yeah, because they would pull it so late that they would, like, you know, roll. And, right, you know. okay. So he traveled barnstorming across Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, Wyoming, and Montana. Barnstorming, very dangerous, but he was also getting a crash course on what it took to be a pilot. A crash course? Well, you know, that's my term. Uh, Non-crash course, I think yes. it's called. Yeah. He flew with another pilot in the plane, uh, and the pilot said that Charles was a natural, but he was still not able to officially pilot a plane by himself at this point. So he could fly if another guy was also on the control. Right. He had a learner's permit. Yeah. Right. When winter came, with money saved up, he went back to his father's house in Minnesota, and then he bought his own plane from a World War I Army surplus field in Georgia. That must have driven his dad nuts. No! That war was bullshit! <laughs> the government fucked me! God damn it! Who sent you here to do that, Charles? Um, the plane was a Jenny biplane. Cost 500 bucks. Okay. Took his first full solo flight as soon as he bought it. Okay. He flew, uh, he flew for the next week and got the required five hours of solo pilot time. Wait. Yep, you just needed five hours. All right, you're good. Do you swear to God you had five hours, Charles? Now I can trust you. There you go. Five who could, hours? Who did you hurt with five hours under your belt? Now, this guy's one of the best. He's been up there over six and a half hours. You should see this kid. He's unbelievable. He's got over five hours of experience. Six. Welcome to the expert level, son. Uh, and then he... And then he flew to Montgomery, Alabama, which is 140 miles away. The Jenny was not known for having much power and known for being slow, and it had no brakes. Were there any issues with the model? <laughs> so what do you do with no brakes? You just hill landing? You just hope it stops. That's quite a plan. What? Why would you put brakes on a plane? Yeah, no, of course. Snakes, I don't understand that. <laughs> oh my god. There's brakes on these motherfucking planes! <laughs> Charles then went back to barnstorming using the name Daredevil Lindbergh. Okay. He barnstormed nonstop across uh, the country and at one point made his first night flight. He didn't just barnstorm, a couple times he flew a doctor over the flooded Wisconsin River to reach people in trouble. So he was helping people out too. Sure, okay. 
Uh, Unfortunately, he'd be like, uh, where we land might be far from where we stop. <laughs> so that's the house? All right, well, I'll get you near there. We're breakless. Put both your hands out now, stop it. No, close your fingers, close fingers. There you go, perfect. You know, I've been flying for over nine hours. You crazy? Where do the hours go? I didn't know you were such an expert. Yeah, oh, I know everything. Uh, he, had, he also broke his propeller several times while landing. Good, 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 good. Yep. That makes you have to go in like that. Like, well, uh... Dave, he's on a breakless bird. I mean, he's gonna shatter the nose from time to time. He's gonna hit a tree. Yeah. Uh, now, it turns out barnstorming wasn't a great way to make a living. What? I'm, I'm looking for the upside of barnstorming. <laughs> you might die for nothing. How's that sound? Uh, in between, he worked other jobs like handyman and gas station attendant. On June 3rd, 1923, he was flying his father, uh, who was running for Senate, to a campaign stop when he ran it into a ditch. Sure, so he was just land flying? Well, no, he landed and he you know, landed. there's no brakes, so right. he went sure. into a ditch. Right, yeah, because it's impossible to know the full topography of the land where you're landing when it sounds like a flawed plan, is what I'm saying. Uh, Charles then sold his plane in Iowa, and he hooked up with another barnstormer, and they toured the South. At one point, he crashed right after, right after takeoff, but was not injured. Uh, after a while, he went back for training, this time at the United States Air Service Training Program in Texas. And he was one of only 18 out of 104 who graduated. Okay. He was now a second lieutenant in the Air Service Reserve Corps. Eight days later, after graduating, he was uh, involved in a mid-air collision. He graduated in eight days? No, eight days after he graduated. Okay, I thought we were on another five-hour timeline. No. Well, you're in charge of the Army now. It's been a week and a day, so... Uh, you're a major! Uh, but he bailed out of the plane when they collided, and he lived. This is okay. <laughs> sounds very sounds animated. Yeah, okay. Uh, but the Army didn't need pilots because, you know, sure. the 20s, l literally no reason. Yep. So he went back to barnstorming. He also worked as a flight instructor. Now things seemed to be going well, and then his father died from a brain tumor. Okay. Charles was uh, shattered. He scattered his dad's ashes from the plane across their farm. And then Charles got a job as an air mail pilot. Okay. Airmail had been around since 1918 and was considered the most dangerous job in the country. Okay. 31 of the first 40 pilots who flew airmail died from crashes. Jesus Christ. They're treating them like Apollos. <laughs> so it's a good job, but 75% of us die. That's right. And the 25% who don't make very little. Welcome aboard. So this, it's just how you get your mail. These are important letters. Yeah. Well, Top tier letters. They're flying it from city to city. Right. Airmail pilots mostly flew de Havilland's planes, which were nicknamed Flaming Coffins. <laughs> oh my god. Did they let the pilots know what that's called? <laughs> Don't tell them our nickname for it, though, because it bugs them out. Yeah, they get weird when you tell them the name yeah. of the plane. But uh, anyway, have a good flight. <laughs> Get that letter to that guy. <laughs> it's gotta get there fast. 
This was because the plane of the plane's fuel tanks, which were between the engine and the cockpit, they would often explain, explode if the plane crash landed. So, Jesus Christ. So, yeah. yeah, a crash, so you jump out of the plane if you're gonna crash. Yeah, but if you, you don't have a bottom know, up front. If you're just coming down and you hit a ditch. I right. almost was gonna say that it sounded like flying pintos, but then realized <laughs> there have been flying pintos. <laughs> For those of you who don't know, there were flying pintos. Now, so they have the big, they have the big uh, fuel tank between the engine and the cockpit. They Perfect. also, uh, you had to land them crazy fast. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Perfect. This uh, sounds like a perfect recipe. They were too heavy. Good. Great. So it's too heavy. You got to land it fast, and it's got a bomb up front. And and they had poorly designed cockpits. Right. Okay. So right. I, flaming coffin is a pretty good nickname. Quote, the gliding angle of a brick. They don't have gliding angles, do they? Now, on top of all that, landing strips were poorly lit and not well designed. It sounds like maybe it wasn't the time to start flying. Yeah, I think yeah, that nothing a was early. Right. Yeah. Uh, so Charles flew mail between St. Louis and Chicago, and he crashed several times. Charles had to bail out of his plane twice during the night while flying to Chicago because of a combo of bad weather, equipment failure, and being out of fuel. More than once, he had to land in farmer's fields using a flashlight to see. What? He just holding out the window. There we go. That's something. I don't know what it is, but that's something. Oh, that's a cow. There we go. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Nonstop flights became the rage. Well, it sounds like most flights were non-stop. <laughs> there were no fucking brakes on any of them. I thought you said this was non-stop, as in we don't know when we will stop. Uh, oh, good, cows. Uh, now, Raymond Ortiz, along with the Aero Club of America, offered $25,000 to anyone who could fly non-stop from New York to Paris oh. and back okay. in the early 20s. But at that point, no one wanted to try it. Right. Uh, but as, as years passed, pilots got better, and some felt they could handle it. And they started going for it. Uh, it doesn't sound like it's, we're ready for this challenge. <laughs> From what I've heard so far, on we're light years away. And on September 21st, 1926, French flying ace René Franck was taking off from Roosevelt, Air, uh, Roosevelt Airfield in New York when the plane burst into flames before it took off. Ah, I think this is another complication, but not anything will stop me. We should still take off at our regular time. Uh, Frank survived, but his two crewmen died. Noel Davis and Stanton Wooster were testing their plane at Langley Field, getting ready for the cross-Atlantic flight on April 26, 1927, with a heavy load of gas when they crashed nose first, exploded, and both died. Jesus Christ. And this is like in your practice run before going. Yeah, that wasn't even. That's these the guys didn't even you're get in the batter's box. Yeah, these guys didn't even get off the ground. Okay. Uh, so a plan that they could make the journey was very expensive. And Charles used his savings and went to his connections in St. Louis and uh, had a meeting with the head of the Chamber of Commerce of St. Louis and convinced him it would be a great thing for the city if they named the plane after St. Louis. Okay. So the spirit of St. Louis would be the plane. Now, planes were being built with three engines for power to get across the Atlantic, 
But Charles thought that just led to failure. He wanted a single-engine plane so it was lighter and had better fuel efficiency. I mean, okay, I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> but that sounds crazy. Well, it's gonna go a lot slower. Yeah, but... But you're a lot lighter, so it does... Well, the other ones are blowing up, so I kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, I agree, I'm not in line for those, but yeah. <laughs> Do you want a blow-up plane or a regular one? I'll take the one that's not the first one you said, for sure. Whatever the second so one was. a blow-up plane? Nope. No, no, no. No, a non-blow. Blow-up or regular? Regular. Okay, well, that's also a blow-up plane. Well, then I don't think I'm going to take a flight. I'll be honest. Okay. Uh, so it took him a while to find a plane. He only had 15000 and a company in San Diego, Ryan Airlines. Ryan Air? Ryan Air. I'm assuming it's named after it a guy. Can't... It's not the same. It's two different... Two different words. Okay. Ryan Air, as right. a, you know, like a guy named Ryan was like, oh, I'm gonna have an airline. Right. We should go back to the names like that. Even though there is currently a Ryan Air. What are you flying, Larry? <laughs> uh, I'm on Todd Air. Oh, really? Have you tried Doug? Doug's not good. No? No, Doug's Have you tried not. The, uh, the lounge? The Doug lounge? Yeah, Doug's in there, he gives you a massage. <laughs> I, I, I heard that guy doesn't even have a plane, he just has a lounge. Did you, you know? ever get on a flight? No. Yeah. No, but I came a lot. I like the sound of Doug Air. Yeah. It's not really a lounge, it's more of a garage. I'm not going anywhere. It's actually not anywhere near an airport. I'm still here, aren't I? Uh, so Ryan Airlines was in a rundown building that had previously been a fish cannery. And, and this is where you're like, this will get me to Paris. This energy in here is right. The entire building still reeked of fish. <laughs> but after talking to them, the owners seemed on top of it. And Charles had them build a plane. Yeah, until the very end when he's like, whoa, whoa, plane? I thought we were talking about a fish. <laughs> I don't think a plane will get you to Paris but I got a couple fish. Wait, you were building a fish for two months? Yeah, a super fish. <laughs> Figured you could get inside its stomach like Pinocchio. What does that mean, you were building a fish? I don't know, you said you wanted to go to Paris. I started building a super fish. It's got a super tail. What? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be honest, there's no super fish. I didn't have the heart to tell you that I'd been sitting here just trying to figure out what the hell a superfish was the whole time. Yeah, I wanted a plane, so I don't know how that got translated into superfish. I 90% you said superfish. I just, I would not invent something like that. Clearly, I can't. That's like the worst mix-up I've ever had. Superfish. You do, don't tell you, but the... You want to see some of these blueprints? No. Look at this shit. Look how crazy that is. It doesn't even make sense. I know. What am I talking about? It's insane. I, I don't have any answers. I, uh... I lost my wife over this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I bet. 
I'd just get up in the middle of the night and I'd start drawing something. She'd be like, what the hell is that? And I'd just have these superfish breakthroughs. The superfish breakthroughs? Yeah, where I'd be like, oh, that's what the fish should have. Flashlight eyes or something, I thought, for a little while. Because it's a superfish. But where do you put the motor? Do you put a motor? Is it a motor? fish? Motor? Yeah, exactly. What do you mean, is it a fish? Like I a don't real know. fish? Well, it's... You thought you might make a real fish with laser eyes? Flashlight eyes. First of all, I'm not crazy. I don't even want to talk about it anymore because I am so embarrassed. You know that your company is called Ryan Airlines, right? Again, that's why I never would have gotten in the Superfish game until you came along. <laughs> but man, if I could, yeah. man. Uh, I think I like that better than anyone here. <laughs> So, custom built it. It had extra fuel tanks in the, uh, in the wings and the nose of the plane, and a gas tank between the engine and the cockpit that good. would block Charles' view through the windshield. Good. I think overall, it's good to just get a bunch more fuel pockets on this thing. <laughs> really add them up, you know? Get them all over the place. And you'll be sitting on a fuel pocket too, just in case, Charlie. He told the man, the men building it, quote, there's not much need to see ahead in normal flight. When I'm near a flying field, I can watch the sky ahead by making shallow banks. All I need is a window on each side to see through. So he is going to be driving a plane like his engine just blew up. With like the way, that, like he's gonna be doing the head out the window. Like yeah. he's gonna be Ace Venturing That's right. his plane to Paris. I don't need to see straight on. I'll just giraffe my head out of the plane. <laughs> uh, he used instruments and would slide a retractable periscope out the left window to see forward. What? <laughs> I mean, okay. Altogether, the plane would carry 450 gallons of gas. Wow. To make the plane as light as possible, he got rid of the radio, Parachute, gas, the par The parachute, you could literally lose the parachute weight. What is a parachute? How much does a parachute weight? Yeah, I mean, not much, but also like- what Keep the fucking parachute! Why? You're gonna fucking jump out over the Atlantic and be like, oh, now I'm gonna take longer Maybe to die. Most of these guys are crashing in fields near takeoff. Yeah, but then he's gonna blow up. I, think, I can't believe you're pro get rid of it. <laughs> lose the chute. I don't need that shoot. Nor clothing, nor food, nor oxygen. Fuck it. I'll get there, I'll just be a goddamn skeleton on a nightmare plane. <laughs> hey, what about losing that periscope? Because that sounds fucking crazy in his 10 pounds. No, no, no. The parachute's gotta go. Anything survival-based, let's get out of there. We'll keep the periscope and those funny goggles I like to wear to crack myself up. <laughs> we'll keep all my gag gifts. <laughs> when I show up there, I want to show them how ironic my sense of humor is. <laughs> uh, he also got rid of navigation lights. What is it? How much did that weigh? It weighs four ounces, Charles. Lose him. This periscope weighs a lot more than it was supposed to. 
I'm gonna shave my head. Take out my eyes! <laughs> Take out one of my eyes. I don't need all these fingers. Cut off the pinkies. Those are useless. Get rid of the thumbs, too. I'll just figure it out. Three no, in the whole fucking plane. Lose the ears. I mean, if I don't have the navigation, what do I need those fucking things for? Not gonna need my genitals in Paris. Off with their heads. One foot'll do. You know what? Yes, right over there. You're gonna need your genitals in Paris. Fair, fair. You might actually want to get a second pair. I'm not adding a pair of genitals. That's besides the configuration. There's also the weight factor. It's foolish. If I had that, I may as well keep the parachute. I'll lose one testicle. Meet you in the middle. Put it in that pinky pile we got started over there. He replaced the pilot's seat with a wicker chair. Yep. Yep, this is what I've come to do a little whittling. At the end of the night, I'll just sit out on the porch over here, whittle, tell my grandson a story, even though he can't be there because of weight issues. Look up at the stars and wonder, where the fuck am I? I've got no idea. I can't see straight ahead. I got rid of every button. Now, just two days before Charles was scheduled to leave, French war heroes Charles Nungesser and Francois Colli took off from Paris, headed for New York. It looked like the dream was over. Oh, no. Right Luckily, when you got they the wicker were... chair you wanted, too. <laughs> Luckily, they were never seen again. <laughs> That's the thing. At some point, you're just at the finish line, like... Boy, they are over schedule. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but still, like maybe they stopped for something. Yeah. There's no way to know. Yeah. Boy, it's getting late now. It is. It's they're literally 18 days late. People with the banners are really starting to look down yeah. and dejected. All right, that? guys, we're ready to make the call. We're no, I see. Alright, yeah, we're gonna make the call. We're pretty sure that the people you came to see have died. No. Yeah, they probably died, so... I think they're, uh, uh, I think they're flying in a circle. Hey, could you do me a favor? Yeah, what's up? And, uh, not sidebar any of the shit I'm saying. I'm trying to let these people grieve, and you keep undercutting it. I'm just trying to give people hope. Yeah, but we just landed on the same page that we were saying... You know, they're not coming. So once we turn both keys on that, let me address it to the people. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. No, because I already sense no, do it. that you're going to undercut it. I'm not gonna undercut it. Why don't you lead them in the grieving part? You guys, they're gonna they're gonna be here any minute. We just got a call. We just got a call that they just just what? off of New Jersey. Hey, hey, hey! Let's go back to undercutting. What the fuck was that? Did you see how happy that kid was when yeah, I said that? You just lied to them. I know, but that boy's face. Oh my God, you are. Look that, at him. I'm gonna get oh, you. Oh look, he's running around like he's a plane now. Because, oh my. Oh my God. Well, he may as so... well jump in the goddamn ocean because that's where that plane is. Wow. Wow. Oh my God. Look at that little boy. He's crying. Look, now he's not a plane. Now he's a boy on the ground sobbing. So, 
Charles took off from Long Island on May 20th, 1927. Uh-huh. So, the flight altogether, 33 and a half hours. Okay. So during the flight, he kept the windows open so the cold air and rain would keep him alert and awake. Uh, okay. <laughs> What's, and the bathroom situation is just going to be yeah, let her yeah. rip? You know what I... I should have read about that. I think he probably just shit he in had the to... wicker chair. <laughs> I don't. There's some assumptions I'm comfortable with you making, and there's others that I'm not. I'm not comfortable with you assuming he turned the wicker chair into a toilet. Okay, look. A lot of people don't know this, but wicker and shit go together really good. It's formed into a hut that I now reside in. <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna say that he goes out the window. I'm gonna stick his ass out the window. Dude, have you ever seen fucking rock climbers? That's what he's doing. He's just... Yeah, he probably peed out the window, but he's not gonna put his ass out the window. <laughs> this dude said he didn't need a windshield. He, could, he wants rain to keep him awake. I don't think we're disparaging the man's character, assuming that he decided to do the window washer. <laughs> as I technically call it. So he actually got... Uh... He got tired very quickly. I think it was after like four or five hours. He's exhausted. Oh, damn it, it was supposed to rain. <laughs> so he keeps falling asleep. What? And waking How up. How is he not amped up? I mean, he's like trying to be the first to do this. Hour four, he's like, God, I am just fucking zonked. <laughs> what movies they got? Ugh. Ugh. Uh, he would wake up seconds or possibly minutes later. After many hours, he became so sleep deprived that Eight he... hours? Rest No, up, many hours. After many hours. Okay. He became so sleep deprived that he began hallucinating ghosts. <laughs> We're the actual pilots. We're really here. Oh boy, here we go. That so happened in the ghost hallucination phase. But that happened to me when I flew to Australia. I've had, I've totally seen stuff. I've multiple times seen rodents where I'm like, that's not there. <laughs> And I'm not going to tell anyone that I saw it either. Yeah, private little freakout I'll have over here. So he finally began to near the coast of Europe, and he knew that when he saw some fishing boats. So he went down low and circled and flew close, hoping he could yell down and ask for directions. <laughs> Which, I, my, my favorite part about this idea is that, you know, he's probably off the coast of whatever, Spain or something? Or, or Delaware. Any, any this is Delaware, buddy. I can't see. I, have a, I can't see anything. Hey, were you pissing earlier? I was, I peed all over. So sorry. That was not great. Sorry. Okay, so wait, he, you think he just like found... Well, well he's gonna yell yeah, down. First of all, just trying to communicate with guys on a boat is But really also hard. the guys on the boat are like, what, you need directions? Which way is Paris? Yeah, but they all, how do you know they speak English? Like, you're flying to There's Europe. a lot of, I am not on the side that this makes sense. <laughs> do not attack me. What he's doing is illogical. Excuse me, have you seen Lac de Triomphe? Excuse me, fishermen, I'm trying to break a record. Oh, shit. <laughs> well, he flew around. Uh, the ships, but no one was on the decks. <laughs> what a dick. 
and then he kept flying, and then he spotted what he knew from charts was the tip of Ireland. Okay. So. Which you've ever tried tried to speak to an Irish fisherman, even though you speak English, it's not. Paul, what does he say? <laughs> You're not too far, actually. You gotta go outside, poor soul. That'll take it round about. You go a little longer, but you don't have to go too far. You say you go by the hour, but that's not another time for your dollar, right? That's right. Yeah. You go around and find, okay. then you find yourself around there. That'll be when you see the Parisian. Once you hear the Parisian accent, you'll be able to identify it. It's fucking bananas. You can yeah. barely understand it. Okay, does anybody down there speak English? God, I speak, I'm persuaded me now. We don't speak English down here. You can tell my buddy Cha. Hey, Cha, what you need, mate? You had a question? Where you, are you speak English? Right. That's right. Where are you trying to head? Trying to get to France. But part of France, there's lots of part of France. Paris? Paris, right, that's fine. You're far from it, but you gotta go this way. Right, go straight, right, don't deny it. You keep flying and looking straight ahead. That's your time to sign. That's where you see a bit of a water cloud. That's the one you're after, but it's not the second one. They're gonna be the turn of the fart. That'll be the one you like. If you're so inclined to stop by there, tell them I'm like Chucky and Omi, right? And they told me find the area, there'll be a lot of land to see that. You say they see the croissant, you've gone too bloody far, and it's not a bit of living yet. That's it, be fine. You find that, land yourself, find the time there, you'll have enough time to have a bit of what they call fromage and a baguette. Does anybody down there speak English? Yeah, we are speaking English to you, man. I don't know what the problem is. You got my brother here who's got a bit of a thick accent, he can try if he likes. Boy, So once he was in Ireland, uh, once he saw Ireland, he knew from charts how to get to Paris. And he landed on May 21st, 1927, after flying 55 hours straight. Jesus Christ. God. Yeah. In a fecal heat splattered plane. <laughs> Charles, hey, we need to put toilets on these. Uh, now they knew ahead of time that he was coming in because he had flown over French town. So 150,000 people were there to see him when he landed. He was dragged from the cockpit. And Get out of here, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Beat him. It's a fucking invasion. <laughs> Uh, he dragged from the cockpit and carried above the crowd's heads for about a half an hour. A half an hour? Is he like, I'm genuinely exhausted though. It would, five minutes is really great. Half hour super long. Uh, then people started taking souvenirs from the plane, like actual parts of the plane. There we go. Hey, look, I'm taking the plane as a remembrance. Finally, French military pilots, soldiers, and police pushed it into a hangar. Uh, he was an instant celebrity and an American hero. A crowd of a thousand surrounded his mother's house in Detroit. Uh -huh. Sure. Do what? Look yeah, at that's his mom. That guy came out of her. Show us your vagina. All right, hold on a second. All right, all right, hey, 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 h
look, I don't even know why we came here, but none of us came here for that. Hi, <laughs> then. It's my boy. That was you who did that. That was me, that's right. <laughs> There's no boy. God damn it, I might have to, I, I'm gonna have to pay again to see a vagina, aren't I? What was just said, no. <laughs> Jesus Christ, talk about ruining an event. We just yes. wanted to surround a house to celebrate. Legally, I'm supposed Shut to. Shut up! <laughs> Shut your goddamn mouth. Legally, I'm supposed Take to say that. No, go. I'm a, I'm a sir. sex offender. Sir. Sir. <laughs> sir. 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 This is just not the event for you. Sir, this is simply not the event for you. This I'm is a, a Sir, shut up. I've been calling it a gateway Sir, sir. A little weak guy. Sir. Turn around and leave the event. You've completely ruined it. You and your fake boy mouth. Don't say, I can see you teeing up another thing to say. Don't say it. Just go. Sir, your mouth is opening like you're, and you're taking a breath in like there's going to be more projection. Shut up. Go away. You've ruined the day. We just wanted to surround a lady's house because her son flew 55 hours to Paris. Which is a little weird to begin with, I'll admit. Then you turned it into some sort of pervy sex show. Just go. Look, we'll go if you're not going to go. Yeah. Right. No, we're not going to go. Because, no, the way you nodded, no. Leave me alone with the gateway. No, no, no. 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 Sir. I love flying. Sir, don't, don't turn this into some, no, emotional, sir. And here's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> all I've ever wanted all my life. Sir. My dream, since I was a little guy, is to be where Charles Lindbergh was. Sir, they go to Paris. They go to Paris. No, the first place he was. Sir. <laughs> Sir. A, I, I just gave myself credit. I was... No. no. Fuck! <laughs> so... The St. Louis Globe Detroit... Uh, St. Louis Globe Democrat... Newspaper uh, said, headline, whole world rejoices in Lindbergh's glorious triumph. He's flooded with job offers and telegrams. Over 100,000 people sent him telegrams. Many were marriage proposals. Sure. He's just like, I gotta have that. That dude flew. Yeah. That dude flew for 55 hours. He's gotta be great at marriage. <laughs> now that's a normal person. <laughs> Talking about emotional stability. Uh, he published an autobiography just two months after making the flight. Jesus. In it, he attacked pilots as womanizing barnstormers. Okay. That... He wrote that the perfect relationship was long-term with a woman with keen intellect, good health, and strong genes. Man, I'm waiting he, for this. He thought having children start. was, quote, the most important choice of one's life. One mates not only with an individual, but also with that individual's environment and ancestry. So what are you doing to my piano? Yeah. <laughs> Gotta mate with the environment before I make it over you. Now where are some of your dead relatives? 
He said he'd been taught, quote, experience in breeding animals on our farm, the importance of good heredity. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're, you're talking about a fucking hero right now. He's just, he just has some ideas about breeding that are normal. President Coolidge awarded Lindbergh the Medal of Honor on March 21st, 1928. Congress had to make a special resolution that would allow the Medal of Honor to be given to someone who was not in combat. Okay. And in 1929, he... And then, and then Rush Limbaugh got it. And then it's amazing. <laughs> it's like... It's just baby steps. Minor concessions along the way. Uh, in 1929, he met and married Anne Morrow. Sales of Lindbergh trophies dropped immensely after his marriage. Oh, okay. So, Charles was dodging interviews about his personal life. The New York American Today printed this phone interview with him. Charles, you want to know something about the flight? Interviewer, not particularly. We want to know something about your engagement to Miss Morrow. Charles, I can't hear what you say. Anyhow, I don't like to give interviews about the flying over the telephone. Wait a minute, I'll see if I can get a better connection. And then he never came back to the phone. <laughs> yeah, it still works. It was before we had tunnels, but it was still like, I'm going through a tunnel. <laughs> Let me call you back in a minute. Uh, he took Anne flying everywhere. They went to Canada, Alaska, Japan, and China. Uh, Charles and Anne had a baby, Charles Augustus Lindbergh Jr., uh, in 1930. When the baby was 20 months old, on the night of March 1st, 1932, he was abducted from his crib. In the morning, the Lindberghs found a note threatening to hurt the baby if anything about the note or how the payment would work was revealed. All the press knew was that there was a $50,000 ransom, and Charles said he would pay it. Right. The note uh, said... Dear sir, exclamation point. Bold opener. I mean it! I mean it, dear sir! Have 50,000 reedy. Reedy? R-E-D-Y. Oh. 2,500 in $20 bills, 1,500 in $10 bills, and 1,000 in $5 bills. After two days, we will inform you where to deliver the money. We warn you for... We warn you for making... Any ding public, any ding, A-N-Y-D-I-N-G, all one word, public. Is this maybe the baby doing all this? <laughs> Signed baby, er, kid, kid, kidnipper. Uh, or for notify the police, the child is in good care, G-U-T-E. Well, that's gotta make you feel good. <laughs> Indication for all letters are signature and three holes. Wait, what? Sorry. You're reading that, you're going, oh my God. Say that again, please. Uh, indication for all letters are signature and three holes. <laughs> I guess take a picture of the mouth first. I, I don't know, what do they... Now, at the time, America is kidnapped crazy. In Illinois alone, over uh, 1931 and 1932, there were 400 kidnappings. Jesus. And 2,000 kidnappings in all of the US. 
So because this is Charles Lindbergh, an insane manhunt immediately began, like 30 minutes later, okay? People called in sightings of the baby from all over the country. I saw the baby. <laughs> I'm 100% it was the baby. How can you tell? It was a very small baby. It looked like a tiny, how old was the baby we're looking for? How long has it been, what? How old is the baby we're 20, looking for? 20 months. Oh, this is the, it's gotta be it. It had no hair and very little eyebrows, and it was in a stroller. This was a, this is a 100% the baby. Oh, hurry, hurry, get it. Get it, it was near my home. I don't know where it would be now. What is this line about? It's a helpline? You know, I was a baby at one time myself. It was a long time ago, before we had oats. Oats? That's right, we used to not have oats. And then when I was a baby, we finally had them. That was a big time. Uh -huh. Anyway, you should probably get moving unless you want to hear more about my childhood, which I'm fond about expounding upon. I had very curly hair as a girl. People would always say that I should sell my curls, <laughs> but I would never do that. Well, we ended our power to the state fair to win the blue. Me. Yeah, go ahead. Hello? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure uh, who you are, but the person you were talking to killed themselves. Well, where did you jump in? The curls? They just, they just came in. I'm actually a parent. All right, I'll start from a little earlier. I've seen the kidnapped baby, and when I was a baby, oats were a thing. Uh, so the cop in charge, for some reason, gave responsibility to the investigation to Charles. All right, Charles, wear my hat, here's my badge. You're in charge now. I'm gonna be you for the rest of the day. That'll be fun, won't it? But being a pilot, he knew nothing about how to run a kidnapping investigation. Really? I would think there'd be a lot of skill set crossover. And this led to huge errors. Footprints near the house were trampled. Evidence was handled by a bunch of different people who were there. All right, everybody touch it so we know what it is. Come on, I want everyone to get eyes on it. Touch it, get your spit on it. Tons of mistakes. Uh, all leads were dead ends. Uh, a reading Pennsylvania headline, quote, examine truck at reading for Lindbergh baby, find beer instead. Was this your son? That's beer, you idiot. Oh. Right. Well. We're getting warmer. We should probably crack that open, huh? Absolutely, we're gonna drink the baby. Beer, sorry. <laughs> Got the case again. <laughs> work, work, work. That's my mind. Do we get three babies? Three babies. Uh, that'll be it. <laughs> Over several days, many people were arrested as cops, cops trying to get a lead or a tip. There were wanted posters, photographs, and descriptions all over the continent. Of just wanted posters being like, wanted, the kidnapper. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. Pic not pictured here. Yeah. Here's a picture of a bicycle, because we had the room. Again, this is not a bike theft, we're after a baby. A man, really. Uh, Violet Sharp was the British maid of Mrs. Lindbergh's parents. She was interrogated and caught in a series of lies. This made her a likely suspect, or at least involved in the crime. But she killed herself during the investigation. Oh, shit. After it was learned, even if she was involved, she had no ransom money. Some believe she had killed herself being wrongly accused and losing her job. Uh. The cops who interrogated her were accused of using overly harsh tactics. Then, Dr. John F. Condon of the Bronx 
reached out and offered to be the intermediary between the kidnappers and the Lindberghs and to throw in an additional $1,000 in ransom. Wait, he would throw, he would wait. And toss an extra one. He's basically saying, I'll pay $1,000 to be the intermediary? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's fine, I'll give you a thousand bucks, let me do it. <laughs> okay. I want to talk for you, okay? I'll, I'll talk to the kidnappers. First, we gotta find them. Yeah, that's where we are. That's the hard part. I got this, I'm gonna throw out an extra K, okay? Yeah, I guess. They'll come. Okay. So, he made this offer. I'm a baby hunter. <laughs> I'm a baby hunter. <laughs> he made this offer by having it printed in the Bronx Home News newspaper. See, Ma? Pretty good. <laughs> That's your fucking boy. You said I wouldn't be shit, Ma. Page two. I'm gonna find a famous fucking baby. <laughs> said I'd never amount to shit. That's pretty convincing, I'd say. You're just like your father. You ain't gonna be shit. Just old, a fucking ad You old bag, I'm in the paper. That means something. Doesn't mean shit. Shit, now I gotta go do it? Shit. It's gonna take forever. I don't know what I'm doing. Did Turn it into Rodney Dangerfield, right? <laughs> hey, wow. Hey, get a load of your kid. <laughs> hey. I don't think I need to be an intermediary at all. Intermediary? Hey. That sounds like a sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> Hey, I'm back, baby! Uh, so... The next day, there was a note with instructions in Condon's mailbox. What? <laughs> and then Charles Lindbergh signed off on Condon's involvement and to be the intermediary. Sure, of course. He's got the lucky streak. Condon decided to use his code name, use the code name Jaffsy. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you can't be calling me Condon. People will know. So uh, we gotta go with something incognito. <laughs> I'm Jaffsy, and I can dance. I'm a ja I'm Jaffsy. I wear a big rubbery nose, and I love to dance. All right. If you need me, honk this horn real loud. I shall cometh. <sighs> He started communicating with the kidnappers through the press. <laughs> yes. And then, and then there were a se series of meetings in a graveyard with one of the kidnappers who called himself John. Conan started referring Jaffsy. Jaffsy started respect. referring to him as Graveyard John. Okay. The man had a thick German accent. At one point, he slipped and said the baby might be dead, but then he covered it up. What? Not literally. No. Okay. They're in a graveyard. He told Conan he would send the baby's sleeping suit to prove they had the baby. <laughs> Look, we have its pajamas. What else do you need? Could it be more compelling? Uh, on the next meetup, Conan gave the ransom money to Graveyard John while Charles waited in a nearby car. Graveyard John then gave Condon a note that said the baby was on a boat named Nellie near Martha's Vineyard. And a wild goose chase ensued, but in the end, no baby was found. Charles spent hours flying around, searching for the boat, nothing. A month later, a truck driver found the baby's corpse on the side of a highway. Ugh. Come on, you know how many babies have died on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, but at this point, yeah, you're like, oh, Dave, baby died. But Dave, 
it's normally like, it's like early. You're like, yeah, three of the kids died. So we're like, ha <laughs> You like, we got invested in this baby. How? Because of Jaffsy. It only, it only stepped up the stakes. Felt like something good might happen. The baby only lived 20 months, and, and they're lucky he, he named it. It's the wrong attitude. Yeah! <laughs> You're wrong. Uh, so the cause of death appeared to be blunt trauma to the head. Uh. It had been 72 days, and the baby had died on the night of the kidnapping. Oh my god. Uh, so it turns out that they believed that the guy was going down the ladder and tripped and fell. And you can't, you can't, it's hard to carry a baby when you're falling off a ladder. Oh they teach you that in ladder school, that's one of the first things that you learn is don't carry a baby that's down a ladder. crazy. Oh. The investigation for the killer went on through 1932 and 1933, and then in 1934, a man named Ricard Hoppen was caught using the ransom money. It was marked, okay? Police found 50,000 of the ransom money in his garage and a piece of missing wood from his attic that would be connected to the ladder from the crime scene. Sounds like a good amount of evidence. Yeah. I'm gonna take the thing I killed the baby with. Just put it in my attic. <laughs> Keepsake. Were the police there and then Jaffsy ran over like, hey, I think we got it. <laughs> Looks like we all put our heads together. Crack this case. Whew. You guys want to do a celebration dance? Hi, I'm Jatsy. That's code name. Code name Jatsy. What are your code names? Sorry, why the fuck are you here? Uh, my name's Condon. But, uh, on this project, I'm Jatsy. You probably heard this about Jatsy. Yeah, this isn't a project. This is a murder investigation. That's what I mean, murder. Yeah, exactly. yeah. When I got involved, there was a kidnapping. That was about... That was about five years ago. I've been working the case ever since. No, you haven't. Well, I mean, I took a couple breaks, sure. You gotta take a couple breaks when you're in an investigation that you're long. You're not any, you're not any. You're yeah, not really? Any. Then what does this newspaper headline say? Whoa, look at that! Somebody was involved with the investigation five years ago. That's on page two of my Are you just carrying paper. that around? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. Do you want one? No. You can take one. I decoupage some. My fucking mother is just the worst about it. Do you live with your mom? I don't live with her. She, I mean, I rent an apartment in the basement. It's different. It's not... I, I pay rent, so it's not living with her. It's renting from her. I rent from her. I rent from, if anything, she rents from me, you know? Uh, you know I, in retrospect, I shouldn't have thrown $1,000 in to the early part of the... Again, Jaffsy's the name. Dotting I's and crossing T's is the game. How much you pay in rent? I pay, well, I'm a little behind right now. I owe, I'm behind a couple months. I'm behind about a year on rent. But once this kidnapping stuff comes through, I'll be able to pay and get my own place. Well, it's not coming through because the baby's dead and it was years ago. You're being a real downer on this. This is a story about a bachelor coming into his own and you're baby deathing it. Very negative. All right, fine, fuck it, I'll go home. I don't care. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. We really did it though, boys. <laughs> huh? Yeah! Woo! Uh, oh, I'm this way, sorry. Excuse me, excuse me, sorry. I parked on the other side. I don't have a car, I mean, I parked my bike. I don't park bikes, really. Anyway, all right, thank you guys. Jeff's out! Real name Condon. All right, bye.
So Hotman refused to confess. He said he was holding the money for a friend. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so, since only a third of the ransom money was discovered, there was a good chance there were at least two other people involved. The case is often cited as one of the biggest mysteries of the century. Hotman was found guilty and executed. Many people believe he was innocent, and the trial had issues with planting evidence and witness tampering. Yeah, well, Dave, we still execute innocent people in this country. Yeah, so. we just did it yesterday. Yeah, we did it yesterday in Alabama. Sorry, we did. <laughs> we did. Yeah. It's okay, it's normal. He's a black guy. Yeah. Oh, it's so weird that we would kill an innocent black guy. What a weird thing for America. Oh, what am I bumming everybody out? Well, yes, is the answer. You don't have to lie to her. <laughs> That's okay. They'll get theirs. They'll get theirs. All right, buddy. I think we're all a little concerned now. <laughs> it's like a dark turn. Charles and his wife struggled, obviously. But they would go on to have five more children. Charles traveled a lot, but he still controlled the family forever he, from wherever he was. Uh, Joshua Kendall and Slate, quote, he kept track of each child's infractions, which included such innocuous activities as gum chewing. He was, he like, what, he gave him tickets? <laughs> and he insisted that Anne track all of her household expenditures, including every 15 cents spent for rubber bands in copious bank account books. Okay, sure, that sounds cool. <laughs> cool, I'll just keep that in the rubber band pile. They moved to Europe for a bit to get away from the American media. First they lived in England, and then France. And in France, Charles befriended a medical pioneer named Dr. Alexi, Alexi Carrel. He was known for suturing small blood vessels and transplanting organs. And Charles wanted to discuss operating on a bad human heart because Anne's sister had recently had a heart attack and her heart was permanently damaged. So Charles had come up with the idea of a heart pump and he showed it to Carrel and Carell loved it, and then the two, two men did research together and published a book called The Culture of Organs. What? It's a, a weird twist. <laughs> well, I've invented a heart valve. <laughs> you just went to lunch. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> uh, so the two men, while they were working together, spent a lot of time together. Uh huh. And Carell had some interesting ideas about people. Quote, there is no escaping the fact that men were definitely not created equal. Oh, fuck, right. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> right. He wanted society to eliminate criminals, the insane, and anyone who, quote, weakened civilization's foundation. Mm -hmm. To Charles... Again, let's really be careful on the woo areas. <laughs> woo zones. It's a weird time to yeah. woo. Uh, now, Charles was super into these ideas. He was like, you're fucking right, man. And during the late 1930s, Charles became more engaged in politics, especially as World War II began. Uh, Fuck Charles! <laughs> I don't know why everyone's getting so down on our American hero. Uh, Did you hear the deep call in the back? Fuck Charles! <laughs> Uh, so he made, he made two trips to Germany, one in 1936 and one in 1938. In 1936, he was asked by the U.S. to report on the state of Germany's Air Force. Uh, he and Anne went, and uh, they were there for a while. They went to the Summer Olympic Games as a guest of Hermann Goering. Uh, 
Hitler is a really big fucking Nazi. On both trips, he toured factories and uh, flew the very impressive German planes. He was very taken with the German military and the German people, and he became convinced no one in Europe could fight off Germany in a war. Well, so did Germany. <laughs> it turns out that was going around. Yeah, that was like the ego. Yeah, I mean, like, the map of Germany at that time should have literally been drawn with balls. On October 18, 1938, he, the, he received the Service Cross of the German Eagle, a civilian medal from Goring. That'll age well. Yep. <laughs> but news of Germany's persecution of Jews was now filtering out of the country, and many people were disgusted that an American hero was wearing a Nazi medal. Uh, when the Nazis invaded Poland in 1939, Charles became an outspoken anti-war voice. He began to increasingly express pro-German sentiments. Which at the time were not great sentiments. Well, at the time, most Americans were isolationists. He was actually on the side of the majority of Americans. According to his journal, Charles believed that the pressure to get involved uh, was from FDR and his administration. And then he gave a radio address on neutrality in 1939. Quote, we had to fight a European army to establish democracy in this country. It is the European race we must preserve. <laughs> Political progress will follow. Racial strength is vital, politics a luxury. If the white race is ever seriously threatened, it may then be time for us to take our part in its protection. Oh to God. fight side by side with the English, French, and Germans, but not with one against the other for our mutual destruction. So. Oh. In his, in his mind, the English, French, and Germans are all going to get together and fight together. Like, I mean, can you imagine, like, after that radio session, just be like, ah, I think that went pretty good, right, guys? <laughs> what the fuck did you just say? Ah, ah. And I just say, huh? Oh, honey, I finally gave the race speech. I think we're going to be big hit in this country. How did the Marlboro commercial go, dear? Good, got a little riffy at the end. Charles then publicly criticized FDR. He thought no one could beat the Nazis. Uh, but as Germany invaded France, other Americans started to lose their isolationist views. But there was still a huge group of isolationists. Uh, they formed a group he uh, headed by Sear Roebuck. 850,000 isolationists. Wait, five Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Sir Roebuck was impressed by Charles and invited him to join the executive committee of the isolationist group. Oh, good. That's who you want at yeah. the forefront. On September 11, 1941, Charles spoke in Des Moines, Iowa, quote, Who are the war agitators? The British, the administration of Franklin D. Roosevelt, and the Jews. Jesus Christ. He continued, quote, No person with a sense of dignity of mankind can condone the persecution of the Jewish race in Germany. Their greatest danger to this country lies in their large ownership and influence in our motion pictures, our press, our radio, our government. Jesus Christ. So, Charles had finally crossed a line and people were fucking furious. Yes, okay, good. Yeah. When he finally spells it out, but yeah. for the two years when he was just like hinting around it. Let me like, be explicit! White people are the greatest! 
He was called an anti-Semite. His mother-in-law and sister-in-law publicly went on the record opposing him. It's good. It's nice when people close to people come out and say shit yeah. like that. Uh, civic groups and businesses cut ties with him completely. We lost Coca-Cola. Over what? <laughs> and then his name was removed from the water tower in Little Falls, Minnesota. That's the ultimate thinking. What? That's right. We made a switcheroo. We used to love you when you did stuff like that. And then you went on. You just expounded too much on what you believe, Charles. And what you believe is evil. Look, we're little. The world doesn't see us like regular people at times either. But the one thing we've learned that no matter what color, creed, race, size. Size? Size. Gender doesn't matter. Matters what's inside that's important. Which is why we're gonna take out your organs. And we're gonna wear what? you as a skin suit. What the fuck is wrong? And we're gonna publicly go to the Senate and we're gonna retract everything you said. We're gonna start by pulling that black heart out of your chest, Charlie. Uh, at the time, Dr. Seuss was a newspaper editorial artist. You know, it's good, it's just not fucking crazy. I like it, but what if it rhymed? Republicans is such a boring name. What if you called it the What's Nots? Uh, he commented on Charles, Charles' views. One cartoon has a man saying, Tis Roosevelt, not Hitler, that the world should really fear, and the man is labeled Lindbergh. He's petting a massive creature that has Nazi swastikas all along its snake-like body and is causing destruction overseas. People began calling Charlie, Charlie, Charles a Nazi sympathizer, but he would just say he was simply an isolationist. Or simply a Nazi. <laughs> and yet he kept echoing sentiments of the Nazi regime. He was an advocate of eugenics and believed that our, quote, our bond with Europe is a bond of race, not of political ideology. Oh my God. <laughs> God. But I'm not a, but I'm only an isolationist. Yeah. I mean, I say all the Nazi things. Having a common love of Nazis, Henry Ford and Charles became good friends. <laughs> Here it is. You thought it was just the house of Detroit. At the time, Henry Ford had an anti-Semitic newspaper called the Dearborn Independent. And he was a well-known Nazi sympathizer. According to an FBI file, Ford said that, quote, when Charles comes out here, we only talk about the Jews. Hey, Charles, would you like to come over and talk about the Jews? I'm on my way, Hank. What a fine day we had. Charles got blowback when he publicly proposed that the U.S. should make a distinction between offensive and defensive weapons when setting up an arms embargo with European nations. He made it clear the U.S. should have no obligation to help France and Britain. He then accused them of taking advantage of American credit in the last, in the last war. Senator Kay, uh, Keith Pittman made a formal statement critiquing Charles' proposal. 
the most unfortunate part of Colonel Lindbergh's statement is that it encouraged the ideology of totalitarian governments and is best to the construction that he approves of their brutal conquest of democratic countries through war or threat of destruction through war. Charles Roosevelt said, uh, sorry, President Roosevelt said Charles' isolationist views were similar to the copperheads in the Civil War days. Yeah, and we all know what that means. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, I, there's some people want to kind of, go ahead. If you want, some people probably want to know what that means. You think some people want to know? I see a couple puzzle faces out there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Copperheads so or oh, you go ahead. <laughs> Copperheads were also known as peace democrats. They were the, in the Union and wanted to just make a peace settlement with the Confederacy. And Republicans started calling them copperheads, as in the venomous snake, copperheads. That's right. After Roosevelt called Charles a copperhead, he resigned from the reserves, where he was, at that point, had been a colonel. Okay. So this whole time when he's doing the Nazi talk, sure. yeah. he's still in the Army Reserves. Yeah, of course. That's that's a, you definitely have him in the Army at this time, for sure. And then, and then the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor and America was in the war. And that Charles had no choice. The Sheboygan Press. Yeah. Goddamn right. January 15th, 1942. Quote, Lindbergh formally held a reserve commission as colonel but resigned last spring when President Roosevelt described his isolationist views as similar to those of the Copperheads of the Civil War days. A couple weeks after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, Lindbergh offered to serve in the army in any capacity. We'll drop you as a bomb. <laughs> People apparently didn't hold the fact that he loved Nazis against him. The Dayton Daily News, uh, quote, public favors giving Lindbergh another chance. What? Are, I just don't... But with, few, but with few exceptions, persons questioned in the nation's capital on whether the government should accept Charles Lindbergh's request for active service in the army agreed the former isolationist should be given another chance. Even though public favor was opinion of letting him serve, the Secretary of War passed on Charles' request to go back into the army. Instead, he went to work for Ford, making bombers in a Michigan factory. God, that must have been so hard for Henry Ford oh, yeah. to make planes to bomb his fucking bros. Remember, take the explosives out of those guys. <laughs> Don't want to fuck things up too much. Uh, nothing. And then Charles convinced United Aircraft to send him to the Pacific as an observer. But while he was there, he started doing more than that. He began flying planes and then flying combat missions and even shot down enemy fighter. But he still continued to be crit criticized. An article in the Richmond Times-Dispatch in 1943 went over all of his predictions about the war that had already gone completely wrong. In May 1940, Charles said, quote, no one is going to attack us, no one is in the position to. Mm -hmm. He also said that the Russian defenses, both on the ground and in the air, were unbelievably bad. <laughs> After war, news of the uh, atrocities committed by the Germans shocked everyone. But Charles still wouldn't admit he was wrong about the Nazis. Oh my God, dude. Get, get off the Titanic. <laughs> Good Lord. I'm not angry at the iceberg. He did say he hoped that Stalin and Hitler would destroy each other. Now, Charles still tried to have a voice in politics. Of course. Uh, he changed his strict viewpoints on America first 
and started to emphasize that American policy from now on should be, quote, complete world preparedness. Yeah. He would be a paid analyst on our news. Oh my God, in a second. On MSNBC, Billy. Like, what about Charles Lindbergh? Uh, well, this is what I did. That's great, that's so interesting. What an interesting take. There's not a big difference between a guy like Charles Lindbergh and a guy like Bill Crystal or David Frum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but America clearly moved on from Charles Lindbergh. Nobody cared. His days in politics were over. Many could not forgive him for what he said. So he kept working in aviation, money to private business. Uh, sent, but then in 1954, Senator Margaret Chase Smith wrote in the Tucson Citizen that Charles had the right to express his views back then due to freedom of speech. Let the Nazis talk. But he did talk. Yeah, she's, yeah. Saying that, so, she's saying we shouldn't hold it against him. But that's not how it fucking works. No, it's freedom of speech. You can say what you want, whatever you want, no. and no one holds it against you. No. That's freedom of speech. No. You can say it, but fuck off if you're saying shit If like you're that. a Nazi and you say Nazi stuff, then I get to punch you in the face. Yeah. And, and then you say that censorship, and I say, no, I'm a guy punching you in the face. I, I if the government put you in jail, that would be what they're talking about. So that's why I'm punching you in the face. But, like, okay, so before the war, you have, like, pro-white, like, Nazi rhetoric. And then the war happens, and then you discover all that stuff. You would think in today's world, we would still be affected by the war against the Nazis to where we would not be like, let him talk. But that is still exactly what we do. We're like, yeah. well, hear out the Nazi. And no, no, I understand, but for a different take, we go to a fucking Nazi. Yeah, Nazis should never be allowed to talk. Yeah, that's how you do it. That, you just go... You have, you have freedom of speech, you just don't have a platform for it. The whole, so go to a fucking barn and shout at each other. Well, the whole idea that Nazis should be able to talk because we have freedom of speech, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of what happened in Germany, but it didn't go that great yeah. when they were allowed to talk we, a lot. You know what? We let a Nazi riff for a long time. It was a fucking error. <laughs> uh, so, she wrote this because, at the time, President Eisenhower had just commissioned Charles as a Brigadier General in the U.S. Air Force Reserve. And she was writing to say it was well-deserved. What a hot take. America has... No fucking memory. No. None whatsoever. No. Our memory is so bad, we should be running for the Democratic nomination. <laughs> Sorry. Got a source? I gotta pull this up. Um, so, uh... Sorry. Uh, oh, there's a great writer, old science fiction writer, Harlan Ellison. His great quote is, Americans don't know how to hold a grudge. And that's 100% true. David Fromm is now a hero of liberals. Mm -hmm. He's a fucking monster. Yeah. So, uh, what, what we will now, what liberals will now embrace? George Bush. Yes, completely. Hold the grudge. 
You can hate Trump and hate George Bush. I can hate so many. Actually, I can hate so many people at once. It's fucking crazy. Like I'm crazy good at it. Hold a fucking grudge. I think you would also argue that you, you know, you don't get one without the other. Like you keep, we keep learning the lesson that we should be horrified by our politicians, and yet we never do anything. And if you notice what that results in, is just shittier and shittier options every single time. Yeah. Because you keep getting the move along. So, Charles then became an executive. done. <laughs> Charles then became an executive for Pan American Airlines, and he got super into conservation. His main goal became protecting wildlife and natural resources. He often went to the Philippines and worked preserving endangered species. In 1970, reporter John Nance interviewed Charles in the Philippines, and he reported Charles would spend time with indigenous tribes. Charles, right? He's a fucking Nazi. <laughs> Charles, quote, they have things to learn from us, medicines, and so on. They have medicines. This is called Robitussin, okay? Robitussin. I love that the idea yeah. that indigenous tribes don't have shit to teach us. By the like, way, the tribes are some... They are like in antibiotic paradise. <laughs> it's just crazy. Uh, no, your plants aren't going to do anything for you guys. No, it's Robitussin. <laughs> Helps you cough. They have things to learn from us, medicines and so on, but we can learn from them too. Their simplicity and natural approach to life has roots. A danger in life today is we've gone too far. Take our cities. The youth, the youth is dissatisfied with the megalopolis life but doesn't know why, it lacks roots. He's just on such thin ice that whatever he says, you're like, easy, motherfucker. Easy does it now. Easy, Lindbergh. Easy, Lindbergh. We're watching you. You're on a pitch count, buddy. In 1974, 72-year-old Charles Lindbergh died from lymphoma in Hawaii. America was devastated. Letters of praise and heartfelt grief flooded the press. That's, that's what happens. You want, you want to save your legacy, President, die. President Ford said that Charles would be remembered as a, quote, selfless, sincere man, uh -huh. one of America's all-time heroes and a great pioneer of the age that changed the world. Yeah. We have no, but again, you see it happening now. Yeah. Literally, we cannot hold a fucking grudge. No. Think of when H.W. died. Who? George H.W. Oh, he was great. Uh, I bet he's grabbing women's asses in the clouds right now. I mean, yeah, I would, I would argue H.W. was the most evil president we've had in decades. Uh, but we loved him. In 2003, three German siblings claimed Charles was actually their father. And they took DNA tests, and it was confirmed. The kids, now all middle-aged, then wrote a book together called The Secret Life of Charles Lindbergh. They revealed their entire story and all their interactions with their father when they were kids. Turns out Charles had an affair with two German sisters he met at a party in Munich in 1957. Now, he met one and started having an affair with one and then started cheating on her with the other. And then he That's started- That's great, you have a great out there though. I thought you was the same! <laughs> I didn't know no better! She has blonde hair, I have brown hair. I 
thought she was wearing a wig. I didn't know no better. He also was fucking his private secretary. Well, this is all while he's married to Anne with six kids. Remember his autobiography, he had crit criticized pilots and army cadets for being womanizers. Right, yeah. And this guy said his ideal romance was long-term. Yeah, for sure. His Ill illegitimate children, though, said he was loving and caring. Uh, Astrid, one of his children, said at the time, quote, I am aware that our accusations have tainted the image of an impeccable American hero. <laughs> but they've also revealed that a man once thought of as emotionless and unattainable was in fact a caring and loving father. Turns out Charles... I mean, Hitler loved dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out Charles had taken frequent trips to Germany to visit his children, but never revealed his true identity to them. Uh, one of his other children, David, said his mother seemed content even after realizing Charles was having an affair with her sister. Sure. Jesus. Well, you can see how happy and excited my mother was when she spoke about him. I could see how intimate they were. Gross. <laughs> You're right in there, huh, Daddy? Uh, David was only told of his father's identity a year after Charles' death and agreed to keep it a secret, but they eventually published a book. And now I think that, I mean, most of us know who is a Nazi, but I also think that he's mostly known for flying the plane when he should be known for being a Nazi. If you're a Nazi, everything gets wiped off the slate. Well, he's a Nazi that flew a plane. No, we have such a soft spot for Nazis. It's just well, honestly, it's fucking crazy. Ch Charles Ford name should not be on the company. He's a fucking Nazi. The but company we should have, have We have like, yeah. I mean, now we have like, yeah. We just have policies that reflect that. We have people in. Yeah, charge. we're kind of the Nazis. Now, we are so. like, yeah, and it's like there's never much pushback. <laughs> like, no, nah, it's crazy. Oh. <laughs> Feels like the vibe in well, here is people, good right now. Because people don't know, like you have to go and read like 1930s German history to, to realize how close we are. You know, it's oh, a huge part of Nazi. Is we're in the ramp up. A privatization of public, of public industry. Anytime they take over public stuff, that's a Nazi thing. Ramp, yeah. And that and, and, and that leads to corporate control, which leads to Nazism. And corporations control the fucking government. But as it keeps happening, the worse that the shit gets for people, the more the scapegoating happens. That's when you, like, when things start to get bad economically for people, yeah. that's when you start, you are able to go, it's not our fault, we're the government, we're here to help you, it's their fucking fault. And that brings us to why there's a person outside with burning stuff. Because you're, we're literally making a choice right now, and our choice is fa fascism. What? Michigan primary, March 10th. March 10th. March 10th. Michigan primary. You're literally. This is the choice. This is the choice you're making. You're not making a choice to return to normalcy because normalcy is gone. It's never coming back. You can choose right wing populism, or you can use, choose left wing populism. But if you choose the middle, you're choosing right wing populism. That's how this goes historically. That's what history tells us. Because I hate to say this, liberals usually join the fascists. That's usually what happens. Happened in Brazil, happened in Germany, it happens everywhere. Because you're scared of socialism, so you join the bad guys. Sorry. <laughs>
And that's the traditional historical term. Liberalism, not the American one, which is skewed and fucked up and ridiculous. Well, we want to thank our sponsor, Nazi Sport Cars. <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, Emily's out there, and there's other ways to figure it out, too. Please vote. Do this shit. Thank you guys so much for coming out. We appreciate it. Thank you. Adjacent Detroit, we appreciate it. Everybody, it's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 